Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. We are back following a two-week hiatus, and boy, do we have things to talk about, because it has been a incredible, historic, dramatic weekend of soccer. Actually, really, just full week of soccer in Europe, in all of the leagues, but I am joined by a man who did not score a goal at the death coming up from the goalkeeper position. It is Caleb Rhodes. Hello. We honestly could have used a player like Allison at Barcelona today, but we'll we'll get into all of that as we go through the episode. Yeah, it's just Caleb and I today. Nathan is off doing some other things, but he'll be back on our next episode. But we are going to do a whip around of all of the big leagues in Europe just to check in on the various Champions League place races, title races, storylines, narratives. It is thick with the plot in this episode. So let us begin in the Premier League with one of the most absurd finishes to a game, potentially in Premier League history. I, I don't, I still am in complete shock i'm shocked that they didn't have to airlift me out of my house following this result it is liverpool who need to win their final three games in order to get champions league football for next season uh if chelsea lose it is very much in their hands caleb it was another drab performance from liverpool 1-1 against an already relegated west bromwich albion It seemed like the themes of this season were coming back to haunt them. The finishing was poor. Really, passes were not going the places where they should be going. Overall, a lack of urgency, it seemed, from this Liverpool team until the Brazilian walked his way up. It was really just like a walk. Walked his way up from the goalkeeping position and scored a winner in the 95th minute to keep Liverpool's Champions League hopes alive. What is your take on on this Allison goal? Uh, it also just the top four race as it stands right now. Well, I mean, this Allison goal, I think, saved Liverpool's season in in every sense. Obviously, you needed the points, right? And you really should have had the points against an already relegated West Brom, who have become specialists in shipping goals, just just absolutely battered most of the time. But more than just the points. And sort of the mathematics of this. This was a very morale-raising moment for a Liverpool team that essentially has like an entire starting eleven out injured. Jota's out for the rest of the Premier League campaign after seemingly sort of just coming back and rounding back into form. Obviously, Mane and Klopp have had some issues, and Mane was not especially good today either. But all of that immediately dissolves in the solvent of Alison Becker's beautifully conditioned hair. Like, here's the thing. When goalkeepers score, hey, they don't score unless it's like big boots or occasionally like weird stuff. This was like, this was a clinical, this was a clinical header. And it made me think for a moment that perhaps they don't need to sign a striker to replace <laughs> Marino. Perhaps they have their target man right Just like here. how Ederson should be taking the penalties for City, Allison should be up front for Liverpool next season. All I'm saying is it's something Pep would do. And so I think Klopp should do it too. Um, I mostly kid. But this this was a moment for Liverpool. A moment in the Premier League. And frankly, I think they're going to make top four now. I, I really do, because they have nothing else distracting them. They're in, honestly, better form than, you know, like a West Ham. Spurs, I don't trust to do anything. Um, and I think Chelsea, you know, they have, some, they have some things that they need to work on. So I think Liverpool have the edge right here. I don't know what, what like 538 says, but that's my, my sense of it all. <laughs> I'm still, like, recovering from... 
almost flying through my patio door in celebration of this header. I honestly was a second away from shutting off the TV in disgust because this, you know, Hal Robson Kanu, who opened the scoring in this game, hadn't scored a Premier League goal since 2017. So a full four years since he had scored. He gets the opener uh, after a really poor error from Andy Robertson and Reese Williams, who weren't communicating together. And I think, obviously, Salah has carried this team on his back for the most part this season. He scored his 31st goal today in all competitions. I don't think the contribution that he's had this season is being talked about enough. But I also think what needs to be understood is that this has been an incredibly difficult season for personally for a lot of people on the Liverpool playing and coaching staff. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp lost his mother a few months ago. And Alison Becker, and we talked about it on the show, just the horrible circumstances involving the passing of his father in Brazil, the fact that he wasn't able to travel back to be with his family in that time. I think it obviously affected his performances on the field. He had that horrible game against Manchester City at Anfield back in January, February. And you could see when this goal went in and when he was celebrating, particularly with Firmino, who he's very close with, just the the weight that was lifted off of his shoulders. And this guy is a beloved figure in and around the Liverpool training ground. He's really integral to the team's chemistry and their harmony. And I, I genuinely don't think a moment like this could have happened to a better person than Allison. And I also think you're absolutely right. This is something because there's no reason why this should have happened. Like you said, goalkeepers don't do not score. (laughs) Liverpool was founded in 1892. This is the first time a goalkeeper has scored for the club in their history. In 1892, Grover Cleveland was elected the president of the United States over Benjamin Harrison to win his second term grover cleveland not since grover cleveland was president of the united states has a goalkeeper scored for liverpool football club and that changed today and i think caleb if you're gonna manifest destiny in a way that gets you into the top four it's going to be a moment like that a moment that's going to galvanize the club burnley is a tough place to go and they will have fans back in the stadium It's going to be a tall task to win these last two games, and Liverpool have not been consistent against the teams at the bottom of the league. In fact, they've been woeful. However, I think this is a moment. Like, how can you waste this moment? How can you waste this moment, and how can you waste what was a spectacular performance at Old Trafford? I'm not someone who's particularly like an optimist when it comes to my own teams. If if like this is this is it? Like, they have to make top four after a moment like this, right? Yeah, I mean, like, if we're reading the tea leaves, if we're, if we're kind of going off of a spiritual vibe, it would seem that the master narrative going on here puts Liverpool in contention. I think the big game that, honestly, more than Liverpool's games that will decide this is on Tuesday, the other two challengers in this race for the top four, Leicester and Chelsea, play each other. Obviously, a draw would be ideal for you. Very ideal. But maybe before we prognosticate on how that goes, let's talk about how they matched up this weekend in the FA Cup when Leicester, off of a Yuri Tielemans wonder strike from distance, it was like he was back in the Jupiler League, right? This was was. like, you know, 17-year-old Yuri Tielemans highlight reel, like hype video on at Wembley with fans then 89th minute Ben Chilwell thinks that he's got the tying goal but VAR I think correctly calls him offsides Leicester go on to win the FA Cup their first FA Cup Jamie Vardy is now the first player I believe to have played in all 13 rounds of the FA Cup give me your take on the game and then we can discuss how you think these teams will match up again in midweek well first of all Lester you know runs in the family Lester Football Club my cousin and I sent you guys I think some of our text exchanges this weekend massive Lester City fan from the area so I'm happy that they won this game I was supporting them in this game and I think you know clubs like Lester 
who are so well run, not only on the administrative level, but, you know, the owners of Leicester clearly care about the area. They care about the players. And I think that, you know, was embodied by the fact that the, the current owner of Leicester, you know, the son of Kunvishai, who, you know, tragically passed away in that helicopter incident in 2018, you know, was immediately on the field, immediately surrounded by the players. Like when it was one of the first people to hold the FA Cup. And I'm, I'm, I think it's just such an amazing story. It's like five years of tremendous growth of a club that came from the championship and from really being on the brink to being like one of the success stories, like not only in soccer, but just in sports in general. And so I think this is a real, like if there was going to be a feel good win this season, like this, this was it. I think Thomas Tuchel got this game totally wrong from the outset. His team selection was truly, truly baffling like I understand like you want to mitigate the pace of Jamie Vardy and maybe putting Reese James at center back like is a way to do that but then like pick Callum Hudson-Odoi as like you know you're right you're right-sided you're you're right wing back as he was doing like when Tuchel first came into the club and Hudson-Odoi has since fallen away like Luke Thomas 19 years old Leicester youth product had like nothing to do in this game and that's because he was like coming up against Cesar Azpilicueta trying to make runs from from deep. And like Azpilicueta, phenomenal defender, phenomenal on the ball, but certainly not like the most mobile player of all time. And I just think Tuchel played right into Leicester's hands. And even when Johnny Evans went off for Leicester, like there was a period where like, you know, they were kind of struggling to figure things out, but then they just switched to a back four and, you know, exploited Chelsea's just overall lack of width and I think if you're Tuchel now first of all I don't think he played a strong enough team for a cup final I think if you're a Chelsea fan you have to be like really disappointed when you wake up and you see like oh we're playing in a cup final there's Marcus Alonso Cesar Azpilicueta at right wing back Timo Werner up top even though Kai Havertz has been by far the better player in that sort of center forward role for them no Tammy Abraham on the bench still the joint top goal scorer at the club it was just overall like a really bizarre like it looked like it was a cup final but he had one eye on Tuesday's game and I just think like it's your chance to win a trophy like Chelsea made it to the FA Cup final last season and lost they made it all the way back again why not try and like put your best foot forward and try and win a trophy I don't know I just didn't I wonder what your take is because I just didn't really understand what Tuchel was trying to do here yeah no I tend to agree first just going back to Leicester I'd like to shout out the broad for for getting a trophy i guess did he won the league cup with liverpool right no no he didn't okay was this his first trophy in this was his first trophy in english football he won he's undefeated in cup finals but most of them have been in scotland okay yeah so shout out to him i feel like he gets some crap sometimes um and he is a, a big reason why this leicester team is now a perennial you know european place contender why leicester over the past five or six years have been a objectively bigger club than either Arsenal or Tottenham. Just put a pin in that. And he is, he has improved tremendously as a manager since his time at Liverpool, like at Liverpool, he very much, it was like Brendan's way or the highway. And I think he got himself into some trouble by trying to overthink things. He, his adjustments were never very good as a coach. There was obviously that infamous game where he went to Old Trafford and played like Danny Ings at left wing back. And I think he went over to Celtic and he really embraced the collaborative process of like having a coaching staff, a team around him, a really top tier data analysis team and like statisticians and those kind of people. Even so much that when he left for Leicester, he took that analytics team with him to the Midlands. And so I think he's really grown as a coach. He's embraced every single facet of the modern game. And I think Leicester really turned into like the benchmark of the modern, like of a modern club. I think as you're, as you're trying to indicate, yeah. like just everything they do from like recruitment to like having a new training facility to, you know, the way that Rogers goes about coaching this team and organizing this team and making the correct adjustments on the fly as he did in this game. So that's Leicester. But I agree. I was baffled by this ch- like I looked at this lineup and I was like wait is this like the fourth round of the FA Cup 
right? Like, and like, no, like actually, because let's be honest, like ZH is not his first choice part of that attacking trident. Marcus Alonso is not a first choice. Reese James at center back was like a weird tactical decision just to deal with Jamie Vardy for a defense that has been excellent against pretty much all opponents, save West Brom, but that was a fluke. And it just felt weird. And I agree. Why not go for it? Like nothing else is like, here's the thing. Everyone's been talking about how great Chelsea have been since Tuchel took over. And that is true, but they also haven't technically achieved anything yet. They haven't sewn up a top four spot. They've now lost a cup final the second year in a row that they've lost this cup final. And they have a Champions League final where they're underdogs, not massive underdogs because they've been able to sort of get City's number a few times this year, but they have not achieved anything yet. And I don't know why he passed up this opportunity to get a trophy because there is a world, there is a world, and I mentioned this before we started, where they lose the FA Cup, then they lose or draw against Leicester in midweek, and then ultimately miss out on top four, and then also lose in the Champions League final. And suddenly, they'll find themselves in the Europa League next year, or even worse. Like, for all we know, Spurs win their next two games, you know, Chelsea draw points, and they, they fall out of the European places altogether. Although they'll get Europa League by being runners-up in the FA Cup, but... Well, also, Spurs play Leicester. So if they won that game, then maybe there's like an avenue for Chelsea to sneak back in. But yeah, there's, very, there's a very real possibility where they come away from this trophyless and in fifth. We should not dismiss that possibility as like being totally unlikely. And for that reason, I was just very confused. Um, I will say, though, like Leicester scored off of their singular shot on target. And in general, Chelsea bossed the game in terms of possession and passing and shooting and so on a day when he actually you know plays his best players I think they probably win but once again that just leaves you with the question like well well, why didn't he yeah and I think here's the thing Chelsea I think this was the trend under Lampard and it has become the trend under Tuchel they really struggle with going behind in games because I don't think they have anyone of the caliber of you know, one of the top tier Premier League captains. Like we saw what happened when, you know, Man United lost Harry Maguire this week. Like it totally fell apart for them. You know, Liverpool without Jordan Henderson are a different team. And I think, you know, there are Chelsea fans out there who want that leader to be like Thiago Silva, who's only been at the club for less than a year. There are people who want that player to be Mason Mount. Mason Mount is only 21, 22 years old. Like, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulder to be the guy at Chelsea, particularly with, like, the season that he's had, which has been impressive. But I just think, like, they struggle with going behind, coupled out with the fact that I still think Tuchel has a lot to figure out when it comes to how to set this team up to go forward and produce really good attacking play. Because I think you're right. I think their buildup is really good. But once they get into, like, the final third... It like all suddenly just all slows down. And I hate to pick on him because I think he's just having a really difficult time. But like Timo Werner is just not up to it yet, you know, in this team. Even though he's had like a decent, quietly like a decent return on goals and assists this season, like he should have way more goals. Clearly not a confident player. And I also think like where why not start someone like Kristen Pulisic in this game? Like, you know, to get in behind a Leicester defense that's like not particularly quick, like Johnny Evans, not a particularly fast guy. Like Fafana is amazing. He's not particularly quick. Neither is Suyunchu. I think the movement of Havertz would have been way more suited to this game. And I think, Caleb, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in what you think. Chelsea have not, they played City twice and both times they played them. It was like a very heavily rotated City team. If you're too cool and you know that, you're going to get the best of Manchester City in the Champions League final. Like what would your like best starting 11 be for this team? Yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I'll, I'll, I'll give an answer. I, I am curious whether you think like part of this weird lineup was Tuchel somehow wanting to like not give away his plan for the Champions League final, 
but I think that that's an error if that was like you should have your best players play in a cup final to prepare them for being an even bigger cup final. But I think that's a possibility. In terms of the best 11, obviously Mendy comes in for Kepa here, but I don't blame him for like rotating in, in a cup. That's a very normal thing for managers to do. I think you have Azpilicueta, Silva, and Rudiger in the back three, Reese James at right, Conte. And see, I'm really conflicted, like where to put Mount. But I think I think I think I'll do Conte and Kovacic. But I'm not sure he'll be fit for the Champions League final. I don't know. Um, I would go Conte and Jorginho, even though Jorginho's had a yeah. nightmare in the past yeah. few games. Oh my god! Yeah, dude, <laughs> we could talk about that too. Jorginho, who knows where that man thinks he's supposed to pass? Um, but and Open then goal? I'll, maybe I'll pass okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> give give Kepa a highlight yeah. reel. Um, Chillwell at left back, and then I think Mount Pulisic Havertz is what I would do. I would agree. I would agree um, with that. But here's the thing: is he's gonna start Timo in the Champions League final? Like we know that's gonna happen, and so I think I think Pulisic is actually gonna start on the bench, and I think it's gonna be Havertz and Mount as the other two players, um, despite the fact that. Pulisic tends to be one of the more clutch players on the team this season. Like he only he hasn't scored that much, but every single goal he scored has tended to be like important. Yikes. I don't know, man. I think there's I think your possibility of like potentially there being a Chelsea collapse is very real. And I think that Arsenal result is gonna come back to potentially haunt them throughout the summer and you know next season. But Caleb, let us move on from England in the top four race to La Liga. Potentially, you know, <laughs> maybe we should go to Syria, but I think we should just get La Liga out of the way here. <laughs> Obviously, not the greatest of times for FC Barcelona. Obviously, last weekend, we had the nil-nil draw between Atleti, between Atleti and Barcelona that really set the deck for an exciting week, penultimate week in the La Liga title race. And boy, did it cap off with some drama today. Let's start with Atletico Madrid, who went down at home to Osasuna. And in the 88th minute, Yannick Carrasco cuts it back in the box and finds who else but Luis Suarez, who scores his 20th goal of the season obviously let go by Barcelona. And Caleb, we knew that this was coming. It was absolutely written to stars. This was something that we said in August was going to happen, or in September, whenever the transfer was made, we said that this was going to happen. Luis Suarez still has goals in the tank. One of the best finishers in La Liga history comes up trumps for Atleti. And all they need to do now is go to Valladolid to seal the title next weekend. I mean, Luis Suarez has 20 goals in La Liga this year. That's a lot of goals in, in any league. <laughs> I I wonder what Barcelona could have done with, with those goals. Um, I mean, knowing Komen, he would not he would just not play Suarez for some inexplicable reason. Um, so it's hard to but I am so, so thankful that Atleti won this game because there was a brief moment this afternoon when Atleti were drawing and then losing and Madrid were winning. And I was like, oh no, it's happening again. Real Madrid are about to almost win La Liga. But now I think they could, in theory, get by. Well, they just need to match whatever Madrid do. Yeah, they um, could win on goal difference. But I think, you know, they're going to Valladolid, who are in the relegation spots right now. And like, this was probably like, you know, just as much as like Allison scoring the header was like the morale lifting moment for Liverpool. I think this Luis Suarez winner is like very much the, you know, momentum clincher for Atleti in many ways, who I think we've talked about them, you know, falling off at various points this season. But this to me felt like, okay, the man that they brought in to bring them trophies is going to do the business for them at the back end of the season. Yeah. So as long as, I mean, at this point, Barcelona mathematically cannot win La Liga so it's between the Madrid teams and I know which team I want to win it's not Real I'll give you a little hint there so Um, let's talk about Barcelona Caleb because (laughs) must we (laughs) two two one loss today to Celta Vigo 
a poor string of results for Ronald Koeman, who's made some perplexing decisions uh, in this past couple of games, while Barcelona have somehow clawed their way back into La Liga contention. That contention, as you said, is over. Their last five matches since pulling themselves back into La Liga title contention have been a 2-1 loss at home to Granada, a 3-2 win over Valencia, the 0-0 draw at home to Atleti, which we talked about, a 3-3 draw away to Levante, and today's 2-1 home defeat to Kelta. Only five points picked up in their last five games. Certainly not title-winning form. Caleb, I will just let you rant about Kuman, the title race. What has gone wrong here? The floor is yours. Well, what's gone wrong here is Ronald Kuman has some of the worst in-game management. I've like honestly, it's like terrifying. Like it is like putting a baby in the driver's seat of an 18-wheeler in like a downtown, like going through Times Square. Okay. <laughs> what an image. Now, now, I have to ask you, do you think that ends well for anyone? No, no, <laughs> only for no. The people only maybe like it's entertaining to the people watching. But even then, it's like disastrous. No, no, it's it's just dangerous. It's dangerous. And I think this game against Celta Vigo, which we lost today, had some of this going on. But I think it was the 3-3 draw against Levante that really demonstrates how bad Komen is at making substitutions especially and we've known this for a while at the beginning of the year when things weren't going his way his solution was just to like bring on three random attackers in the 79th minute and just kind of hope that something would happen like that's not a plan and this I think is one of the situations where like having the five substitutions now potentially masks some of the it both masks and un- unveils some of the sort of bad tactical decision making that a manager can make but let's but let's dive into this Levante game okay we start with our three at the back system three five two weirdly Dembele is now playing as a right wing back he clearly cannot defend it's I don't blame him he's not a defender the man is a winger right like you can't give him like it's (laughs) we're up two nil at the half wow what all we got to do see out the second half things will be fantastic what does Komen do at halftime, he decides to bring off Araujo, who's been having a perfectly fine game, and puts on Sergio Roberto as a center back. Now, Sergio Roberto has played many positions. Center back is not one he plays very regularly. And within minutes, within minutes of him coming on, we've now conceded twice. So then Coleman has to make a bunch of other substitutions. We go through four different right backs over the course of the game. Roberto now has a stint. Then Dest has a stint. Um, Mingeza has a stint. And then when we concede the equalizer and are in search of a goal again, because Coleman has mismanaged this game so much and needlessly changed our defensive setup for no real reason, he has to then sub off Sergio Roberto, who we brought on at halftime, <laughs> in order to bring on Ricky Puj in search of a goal. And you know things are bad when, when Coleman feels Pooch. compelled, when Ricky Puj. Okay, so that was last game, and just utter choices. Today, the weird... He did the shit again! He did the same shit! (laughs) He did the same thing. He said, you know what? I actually liked Dembele at right wing back. That worked so well. Let's let's keep going. And he said, hmm, Frankie de Jong is suspended. Who should I bring on to help steward our midfield? Elijk Shmariba, who has been having, honestly, very mediocre cameos. I mean, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Really... Like okay, I mean, it's I, not been great. Like, or could I bring on Mirlan Pjanic, who has not played in like a month and a half? Like, literally, who we brought in? Nope. He's like, no. Let's start the eighteen-year-old in midfield. That can only end well. And you know what? We screwed the pooch again and lost. It was just disappointing. And it it is so clearly, so clearly, Komen that is the problem here. Especially because Barcelona normally plays a four-three-three. And so anything that's not that is essentially a managerial choice. And so when that doesn't work, you know, it's pretty clear who's responsible for this setup. Well, before we get into Kuman, I just yeah. want on this, the, the administration aspect of Kuman's tenure at Barca. 
the thing that really baffled me today was like, okay, let me take off Gerard Piquet in the 64th minute to bring on Serginho Dest and completely alter the shape of this team tactically on the fly. I get it. Like, you need a goal. You need to win this game. Let's bring on an attacking wide back. But, like, why take off someone with, like, the experience and leadership of Piquet who has, like, guided Barcelona to several wins at the la- at the death, essentially. Like, several clutch victories for Barcelona. And there's just, like, I just feel like Coleman, Coleman doesn't, clearly doesn't trust the squad. And the squad doesn't trust Coleman. And I think Coleman is, you know, you can see, like, a lot of key players for Barcelona have taken a drop off this season. Like, Ter Stegen, I think, really has not had his best campaign. I think a lot of, like, the, you call them senior center backs at the club have had really disastrous campaigns because they've been exposed at the back by all the alterations in the system. And the person I feel bad for the most is Lalo Messi, who is having a another just incredibly historic season, amazing by his own standards. Just the amount of statistical contributions he's made in the calendar year 2021 alone. He now has 30 goals and 9 assists in 35 La Liga matches. He's scored in every one of these games in fact that he's he's opened the scoring in every game that Barcelona have lost in the past few weeks and just his insane contributions are just being wasted by like the machinations and toiling of of Kuman but continue with you know where you think the future lies with with this team I mean I don't know but Laporta doesn't like Komen and Komen has done very little Especially when you think how like three weeks ago we were talking about how if Barcelona won every game, they would win La Liga. Right? Like we controlled our destiny. And Komen said, eh, destiny. Who cares about destiny? Um, And so I think he's gone. He has to be sacked. He's completely thrown away all of the like positivity of that Copa del Rey win, which was supposed to galvanize a strong run in the end of the season. And instead, in a lot of ways, we seem more aimless than we've ever been at any point in this year. And that's just like unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And I think, I think he's gone. I think he's, I really do. So my worry is that the rumors right now are that Barcelona are close to bringing in Eric Garcia and Sergio Aguero, but obviously they're also close to, to bring in Memphis Depay, who is very much a Kuman transfer, one of Kuman's guys from the Dutch national team. So are you concerned with, like, you know, the rumors that Depay is coming in? Obviously, the Genie Wijnaldum talk has sort of faded into the background at this point. But with Depay coming in, are you worried that, like, this points to them, you know, giving Kuman one more season to, to prove himself with the team that he wants? Well, I think the two are linked. Like, I don't, I think if Komen leaves, I don't think Dubai comes, right? So I think I'm not too, yeah, I'm, I'm still very confused about this Sergio Aguero business. Um, but it seems like it's happening. So, like, whatever. Um, I think it is a bit of an open question what the rest of our dealings are going to be this summer. Like, is Dembele going to stay? Like, he seems to have not really wanted to sign a contract extension, which means this would be the summer to sell him. So, I'm not totally sure what to expect, but I don't think Depay comes unless Komen stays, um, especially because Depay and Griezmann play kind of similarly, and it would just not be compatible to have both of them in the same team. Um, <laughs> yeah. It would just be another player for Komen to bring on in like the 80th minute when you're down 2-1. He'd be like, okay, Memphis Depay, we're going to play uh, left wing, but you're going to drift inside. And Griezmann already occupies that position. <laughs> They're just going to be colliding into one another. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's move on from La Liga. We will obviously discuss the conclusion of all of these leagues probably on our next show. Let us move on to Serie A, which we had an absurd game, which was taking place during the FA Cup final. It ended up being Juventus 3, Inter Milan 2. Inter obviously had already clinched the Serie A trophy, and Dortmund right now are scrambling to get back into the Champions League places. This was a you know a good step in that direction, but certainly this this Champions League race is not in their hands right now. They definitely need 
uh, one of you know Milan and Napoli to drop points. Milan drawing today to Cagliari, but I think Napoli is the ball that needs to drop for this Juve team to get back into the Champions League. And Caleb, this is really you know kind of serves them right for the current setup of this team and and <laughs> karma for Agnelli being one of the you know drivers of the European Super League and obviously. Juventus in serious financial turmoil and in turmoil on the pitch, turmoil in the coaching staff with Pirlo. And I think if they don't make Champions League, there's going to be a lot of questions asked. And I think there should be a lot of questions being asked already. I mean, we also predicted that Juventus were going to do kind of poorly this year, right? For a lot of reasons. One, Pirlo has no experience as a coach, which I think shows in a kind of shocking lack of imagination with this team. Um, a 4-4-2 is not the most awe-inspiring way to play unless you are, you know, an upstart team like Leicester, you know, desperately trying to hold on to a Premier League lead or a kind of hard-nosed defense-oriented squad like Diego Simeone's at Letty. I, I think that tactically they're a bit of a mess. Their squad is incredibly reliant on Ronaldo. Dibola is a shadow of his former self. Murata is kind of ineffectual like he scores goals and has assists but like they seem to like not matter even Juan Cuadrado is been very important for this team is also on the wrong side of 30 and I uh, I do think that Milan might mess up and give Juventus the in to the Champions League but this team is really really in bad shape like honestly far worse shape than other major European clubs that are going through kind of transitionary phases like now, a la Barcelona, a la Madrid. Juventus are a team dramatically swinging down, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's it's worrying that if they don't qualify for the Champions League, they're going to still have some serious work to do in terms of contracts with the players at this club. Ronaldo obviously being you know the person that they're paying an absurd amount of money to. Max Allegri reportedly is in talks to maybe take over the Real Madrid job once Zidane moves on at the end of the season. They are still paying him after him not being at the club for over two years. They're still paying Maurizio Sarri, who has yet to find himself another job in Syria. So there's some serious, some serious mismanagement of finances going on at Juventus. And I think all of this coupled with the fact that you know, the goal of the people running Juve has not seemed to be like, let's get into the Champions League and be successful in Serie A. It has been, let's like establish a breakaway league for Juventus to get like as much money as we possibly can to, you know, break even at some point and do better financially. And the signing of Pirlo, like looking back on it as a coach, was just like the most arrogant managerial appointment in recent memory because they definitely thought that like this title, this like tenth title in a row, was a given. They thought they could like appoint like you and I to the Juventus job, and they'd be able to walk to a Serie A title. And that, as it turned out, is like not just just not how sports work. Like you need like competent people at the top of of t- of top teams to make them run effectively, particularly top teams who have serious administrative issues. You, you look at like the job that like Jurgen Klopp did at, at Liverpool. Liverpool was kind of a disorganized mess when he took it over, and it took him a few years to like get that club in good order. Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham. You can think about like various coaches around in and around Europe. Antonio Conte at Inter, even who you know has worked really well with the ex Juve CEO Marotta to bring Inter a title this season. So. I don't know, man. I'm not confident Juventus finishing in the top four. I don't think they have it in them. I think, in fact, Pirlo's tactics have gotten worse as the season has progressed, and he's trusted less and less of his players. But, yeah. Juventus, man. Maybe we should uh, do a quick Bundesliga jaunt and then finish up in in Ligue where things are a little more live. So, obviously, in the Bundesliga this weekend, the big news is that well, first, Robert Lewandowski, 40 league goals, equaling Gerd Muller's record. He still has one game to go. I think he's going to break the record. Oh, he's going to break it. Absolutely. This guy keeps getting better and better with age. <laughs> I don't know how it's possible. I genuinely don't know how it's possible. And I think just like the way that he plays, 
he could be a 20 plus season goal scorer for like the next four seasons, four or five seasons. I think he could genuinely be Bayern's number nine for the foreseeable future. And I totally understand why they're not like sniffing around players like Andre Silva and Erling Holland when you have someone like Lewandowski who's like consummate professional and looks to be like just improving <laughs> somehow. I think an interesting question is like, is he, so he was kind of denied the Ballon d'Or last year because they just canceled the awards thing because of COVID stuff. And I think that was unfortunate. This year, obviously, he's arguably had a better individual season, but Bayern have had a worse, you know, collective season. And I think of the other types of players that would be up for this award. And it's like Messi, who's also had a kind of poor collective season, but a good individual season. And then, you know, normally it goes to like a Champions League winner. And I don't think anyone on Manchester City has been that good to deserve it. I don't think anyone Chelsea is close. So what, what do you think of his prospects for Ballon d'Or? I think they're good. I think they're very good. And I think if there's any year to like give a, a makeup Ballon d'Or, it would be to Robert Lewandowski, particularly because his numbers have stayed pretty consistent since he should have won the award last year. I think you can make the argument for Messi because I think Messi has just been out of this world in 2021 specifically. But I just think Robert Lewandowski is, you know, making history in the Bundesliga. He is, I think, somehow been like an unheralded player, at least in the awards category for the past five or five-ish years that he's been at Bayern Munich. If there was a time for him to win a Ballon d'Or like this, it is it is now. You know, if, if, Le- Luke, if Luka Modric was going to win like a makeup Ballon d'Or essentially for to just like praise the career that he's had. I think Robert Lewandowski should probably, you know, collect this award this year. Okay. Well, watch this space. Then the second big Bundesliga news, Borussia Dortmund, they weren't, they, they, they seemed a little bit out of the Champions League race. And now this weekend have secured Champions League football for next year dramatically changing also just a few days after winning their first trophy in four years with the battering battering RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig in the DFB Pokal. I think now that they're in the Champions League, they can keep someone like Hollands around. I think this has massive implications for the summer transfer market. So what do you make of this late season renaissance for the men in yellow? I think this is great for European football. I think Dortmund belong in the Champions League. I think they're that big of a club. I think this is great for, you know, if you're someone who doesn't want Holland to go to Manchester City <laughs> next season or, or like Real Madrid, this is a win for you. Um, I think Holland, I think, has stated that he wants to win things at Borussia Dortmund's and the DFB Pokal win against Leipzig was the start of that. He absolutely embarrassed Leipzig's defenders in that game. I think McConaughey's transfer value probably went down about $25 million following that game, even though he'll be on his way to Bayern Munich next season. It'll all de- Obviously, they're getting a new coach next season in Marco Rosa. So that is a, if you're him, you are absolutely going to be getting down on your hands and knees and thanking Edin Terzic for guiding this team into the Champions League places. But I think this is really good. This is really good both for Dortmund. This is good for European football. And it's good for the Bundesliga because I think the Bundesliga is better when Dortmund are successful. Do you feel a little sad or bad that Eintracht Frankfurt aren't going to be in the Champions League next year? Not particularly. <laughs> I think I think Andre Silva, honestly, is going to go as one of the more underrated players this season. He has more goals in the Bundesliga than Erling Holland in this campaign. However, I think they are obviously struggling with managerial issues. I think their manager is leaving at the end of the season. I don't think they're all around, you know, an incredible team. I think they certainly live and die by the threat of their attacking players. I think it's, it's I think it's wild that Schalke 
were the team that is gifting Bruce Schalke after one of the worst campaigns in any league ever and were relegated like practically at the start of the season before a ball was even kicked are the ones that are gifting Bruce Dortmund uh, a road, an avenue back into the Champions League places with a 4-2 win. Um, wait, wait, to give a sense of this. So Schalke have been so bad at scoring this whole year they had 21 goals heading into this game week they scored four this weekend they that means that they've scored 16 percent of all the goals they've scored at the bundesliga this year in this game (laughs) (laughs) and it was all to help their worst rivals their heated rivals qualify for the champions league I mean, yeah. it's amazing. It's just been an incredible weekend of soccer, Caleb. And yeah. I think there's been a lot of feel-good stories all around. And this was one of them. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Borussia Dortmund. I like what they do. And I think, you know, if anything to keep Erling Holland away from Manchester City next season, I am all for it. Well, perhaps we should finish up this episode. Oh, wait, not quite finish up. We have two more things to talk about. But first, let's talk about League Un, where 37 Bro, what the fuck game, is happening in this league? 37 game <laughs> weeks in. Lille, 80 points. PSG, 79 points. Monaco, 77 points. Leon, 76 points. But point is, there are still three teams that in theory come, you know, the end of the season are going to be champions. Lille need to be Angers next Sunday. All three teams are playing away from home next Sunday. Do, do they do it or do they choke? Caleb. They choked a little bit today. They could have they won did. the league. They did. And it did not. It was not good. It was a nil-nil draw at home to San Etienne. Um, and like they've been battering opponents too, like in this run to the title in the past few weeks. Oh, I don't know. I want them to do it. I want them to do it. I think PSG are going to sweep aside breasts. I uh, I think they do do it. I think they do do it. I think this is so monumental for, and this is like, and I love the fact that like the, the like Lille bandwagon has really kickstarted at like the tail end of the season. So it feels like the momentum is like really with Lille. I think they'll have just enough. Okay. You heard it here but then first. You're hearing, but you're oh, hearing but there's though, a but. Like, there's a but. <laughs> Here's the thing. You're hearing about all this stuff about like Bubakari Sumare, you know, finalizing his deal with Leicester. You know, there's a lot of Jonathan David might have his head turned elsewhere. You're starting to hear like all the murmurings of like where all these little players are going to go next season. And I wonder if like they're taking, I, I don't know, this is complete speculation, but like I wonder if like these players are taking their foot off the gas and like looking in different directions and their eyes are being pulled elsewhere at like the final step and PSG just pip them to another league and a title. Well, only only time will tell, but Ligun being more exciting than it has been in, in a decade. Oh, dude, absolutely. I think since, uh, well, I think Monaco winning was pretty cool. I don't think it was a particularly exciting campaign that season. But I yeah. just think, like, you know, the, that Monaco team was absolutely brilliant. But the things that I did not expect in 2021 were the Knicks to be really good. <laughs> Kalechi Iannaccio to become one of the best strikers in world football in the past few months. And Liga being potentially the most exciting division in all of Europe. And now that uh, now that La Liga's moving to ESPN, Bian's all in on Liga. Oh God, <laughs> dude! I hope ESPN hires Ray Hudson. They better. I they hope have that to, right? They have to. I think they have to. He's the voice of La Liga for our gen- for not even our generation, just in in North America. Well, okay. Here's a question: Like, does his contract? Does he still have a contract there? And they're just going to put him on like League Un and D2 basketball. Um. <laughs> He's going to call MLW. <laughs> He's going to call Major League Wrestling. Um, 
oh dude i don't know that would suck and i think he'd i th- i think you know he's done such a service for being throughout their coverage of la liga i think if he asked them like hey listen like i want to go commentate for espn i think they would let him do it and if they uh. don't if they don't then they're monsters wait quick shout out first i want to shout out two things two more leagues before we get out of here shout out to steven gerrard and rangers officially winning the scottish championship with 102 points centurions undefeated season uh <laughs> their defenders scored more goals than they ended up conceding which is a wild statistic and also we got to talk about sporting lisbon winning liga nos the portuguese league for the first time in 19 seasons going unbeaten in that league uh without bruno fernandes obviously guiding them and with a 36 year old manager ruben amarim so really wild scenes all over europe a lot of underdog stories this season also one more thing to talk about a game that has just finished up as we are recording barcelona femini four nil against chelsea for their first champions league win breaking a series of leon dominance in women's soccer just wanted a quick shout out to them because they have been electric this season nick what was the stat what was the stat about their league form so they barca feminine have played 26 games in la liga in the primera division they have won 26 games out of 26 they have scored 128 goals and they have conceded five that is things that you do not see in real life that is like genuinely i don't even know you probably could do that on fifa but it would take a lot of work to like even have that sort of season on a career mode like this is kind of like an unprecedented season from any team anywhere in the world and you know absolutely incredible performance in this champions league final and chelsea are a good team with an incredible coach in emma hayes who i think you know if there's anyone who could like make that step into the men's game it it could be her i mean just the complete juxtaposition from the men's team at barcelona right now i think this is like one of the most dominant runs we've ever seen in the sport i think that has been a pretty comprehensive whip around through european soccer in what has been a very eventful end of the season and will only continue to be. So tune in next week where I guess we'll probably have to preview the Champions League final. We'll know some of the results of these leagues. There is more soccer to be played. There are more awards to be won. And we're here to bring it all to you. Yeah, we really went all over the map in this episode. We really exhausted the uh, the stamps on our Eurostar ticket today. Proud of us. Anyways, that has been Corner Kick. As Caleb said, we will be back soon to break everything down for what will be the ultimate conclusion of this season. I've been Nick Vinden. Caleb Reds. We will see you all next time. <laughs>